Freetopia Urgently optimistic discussions with experts about the technological risks and opportunities shaping our future. Hello and welcome to Freetopia. I think this episode is really special because, uh, first of all, I think a lot of you have found Pretopia from our sponsorship on Intercon, this awesome remote conference organized by MetaCartel community, MetaFamily, and hosted on MetaGame. Second reason is um, I'm interviewing Peter Pan and Gabriel. Uh, they're two of the core team members behind MetaCartel Ventures, which is this really interesting experiment of bridging the old world of venture capital to these community-driven DAOs that we're hearing about all over the place. And I start the episode by asking them what's their superpower. I hope you enjoy the episode and come back for the next one. I guess like the easy way to frame it is that I'm very good at like messaging people on the internet. Uh, it's probably like 40% of what I do uh, in my waking hours. And, you know, uh, the other half is like, you know, uh, creating memes, right? And turns out, you know, when there's a lot of information and moving bits and pieces of the internet, it's quite hard to actually message a lot of people and get everyone in the same room and, you know, make things interesting, right? So I guess, you know, uh, community management is one of my key superpowers. And, you know, uh, just been operating a lot uh, in online communities, even before crypto. And, you know, since then, you know, worked in uh, and work, have been working in various DAOs and just have, I guess, uh, I'm much more stronger on the operational side uh, remotely, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you, your superpower is uh, the spell that brings everyone together and tells them you should do this, you should do this one, or you're the best person to do this one. It's coordination. Well, it's probably like that and just, plain old operations. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes. And Gabriel, by the way, do you prefer Gabe or Gabriel? Uh, either one is fine. Okay, okay. So your turn? My superpower? Um, well, I'm a lawyer, so I'd probably, and I'm a deal lawyer, so I'd probably have to say paranoia. Yes, yes. Figure, figuring out in advance all the ways that things could go wrong later and trying to create structures that prevent that from being a catastrophe. And, um, uh, you know, uh, as part of bringing together in deals, I'd like to think that I'm persuasive uh, in the manner that I go about that, right? Uh, so to get people over the hump and get people to agree. And I guess uh, specifically for uh, MCV, Metacartal Ventures, your superpower also has to be uh, creating this bridge between the blockchain world and then the real world or the abstraction of the real world that exists right now in regulations. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but that that's also a function of paranoia, right? Because you wouldn't even think to do that unless you were paranoid about the bad things that could happen if you didn't do that. Uh-huh. So, you know, uh, I, I've got the feedback from a couple of uh, listeners that um, uh, we try to speak like really high level, not go to, into too much details, but some people might not even know like at a, like a deeper level, understand, might lack a deeper understanding of DAOs. So uh, we could just, you know, any of you guys could tell uh, normal people who are interested in blockchain AI uh, what uh, DAOs are and then like... How, how, how was your journey into redefining the meaning of DAOs and then recreating them in a way? God damn it. Well, 
Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and, you know, even started writing about um, DAOs, you know, in, in the simplest form, right? Because I'm starting to talk to a lot of different people outside the crypto space who are actually inherently very attracted to the uh, concept of DAOs. The moment I explain it, you know, uh, they're actually, you know, it's really fascinating, right? And I think, you know, the key aspect, you know, what are DAOs, right? You know, they're essentially, uh, for someone who's very new to DAOs, I, I think one of my abstractions is that, you know, uh, it's a bank account on a blockchain where, you know, a group of people can actually manage and control assets and resources collectively, right? Um, so with a traditional organization, right, there's a legal entity, uh, you know, created and then, you know, um, basically someone registers a legal entity and they go to a bank, right, and they basically apply for a bank account uh, and they manage resources for that, right? It's centrally managed only as several people at a time, or if not only just one person at a time manages that account. So very transparent, you know, um, and essentially the government can shut it down or, you know, it's it, basically that person could embezzle funds or use it recklessly or abuse that power, right? The access to the bank account. Um, the idea of DAOs essentially, you know, um, and I guess just looping back, right? Like these bank accounts are essentially controlled, right? Um, by these banks, right? Um, and, you know, managed by them. Uh, whereas with DAOs, right, essentially, instead of having a bank account tied to a central entity, uh, the blockchain, right, you know, uh, like Ethereum, you know, you can hold value. It, you can transfer and move value accordingly within the blockchain without, without relying on a central entity, right? Uh, and essentially, the interesting thing about DAOs is that uh, you can actually go and create a, create a DAO, uh, I guess, to play smart contracts, right, to manage funds in which they're actually, uh, at least right now, they're fully transparent and access uh, and management of that uh, pool of funds, right? Or the, the smart contracts or the banking app, if you will, can be managed by uh, a group of people collectively, uh, where not only one person may have control, but many different people, right? And, you know, um, access to the funds are decided upon by the group and proposed by the group. Um, yeah, and I guess that's like the high level version of the DAO. Of a DAO, I would say so. Gabriel, you know, I think you you have you kind of coined this term augmented organizations, but I, maybe it's not exactly this. But uh, when Peter was talking, that's kind of the term that just popped up in my mind. Maybe from your point of view, how do you see DAOs? Uh, so let's say Peter is coming from the point of view of communities that then you know start to gain the coordination power of you know coordinating money and spending together deciding decision making uh, how do, how do you see DAOs from your point of view yeah so i just think the term dao has become very diluted in a certain sense people just use the term dao for basically any organization that's paired with a smart contract but if you really think about what the acronym is right decentralized autonomous organization you know, to me, uh, um, you know, an autonomous organization is is something like basically a, a fully anarchist organization, like one that doesn't depend on the state and one that in a certain sense says, hey, uh, the laws of the state don't apply to me. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, an anarchist philosopher named Hockham Bay, his real name was Peter Lambert Wilson, but he had this concept of temporary autonomous zones. Right. And he cited uh, Hakima Sama's uh, uh, Hashishim as an example of that, because they had this sort of civilization in the mountains and no one could regulate them. 
right? Uh, so to me, that's a that's the ultimate of an autonomous organization, right? And so you know, I, I just kind of prefer rather than trying to say that that every organization paired with a smart contract is autonomous and and decentralized. I I just say they're aug they're at a minimum they're augmented by smart contracts, right? Um, uh, and and that may enable decentralization or autonomy, but it, it doesn't always require decentralization. Agree. Maybe one uh, example of this could be Reddit communities, subreddits. So imagine if you just gave this one feature of the the like this shared multisig, or just you know being able to decide together how to spend money. If you just added this one feature to existing uh, subreddits you kind of already have uh, pretty much 95% of DAOs. Maybe, not, I mean, you don't have all the scripting, as much flexibility, but uh, just giving subreddits a bullet. What do you think about that? Well, now the, the interesting thing about that, right, is that you're still depending on something else. You're depending on Reddit, right? And Reddit is centralized. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really consider that autonomous, but if you take something like WikiLeaks, I think that's a great example. Right, because they have a real problem to solve. Number one, uh, because governments try to shut down their funding mechanisms. Number two, they're they're clearly doing something socially positive, right? Which is this journalism. Um, so it's not like they're just drug, you know, dealers or something like that. They have this socially positive thing. Um, and 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 number three, um, they they you know they are sort of. Uh, um, you know, countercultural or autonomous or what have you. So to me, that's a great, I would hope that organizations like that start making mm -hmm. real DAOs, right? Because they really need them and they serve, you know, a social good. I, I kind of um, slightly disagree though. You know, like, you know, DAOs are just groups of people, right? Sure. Uh, at its core. And we've had groups of people since uh, forever, all right? Since like the, the invention of humans, right? Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, if a Reddit, you know, a forum uh, primarily started coordinating funds via a DAO, right? Sure, maybe the communication channels might be compromised by say the arrival of Ellen Powell, right? And then the whole Reddit gets shut down. Right. Um, but, you know, like ultimately, if they're operating via say a MOLV1 DAO, small contracts, right? On a fair main chain, they can technically still coordinate uh, on chain, right? right? You know, that, you know, you know that, that isn't disrupted. Maybe the comms channels are, right? right? Uh, but to me, it's like um, the interesting thing about, I guess, uh, to be more specific of Moloch, I, I, I mentioned Moloch because I'm most familiar with it, right? Uh -huh. And it's kind of the simplest version, uh, you know, uh, simpler DAOs out there. And, you know, essentially, I, there's been a lot of discussion recently about, like, you know, is Moloch's, are Moloch DAOs DAOs? You know, are they even autonomous? And I'm like, to me, it's, um, of course they are. <laughs> Maybe this is too blunt of a statement, but you know, of course they are, you know, autonomous because you know the leaders of the organization, the managers of the organization, or even like the main coordinators can leave at any time, and the other members can pick up where they started. Mainly because everyone has the same rights, you know, uh, everyone has the same governance and managerial rights in the DAO, in the Moloch DAOs, right? Everyone can submit a new member, everyone can uh, vote on proposals, everyone can submit a new funding proposal. Everyone and anyone can do this and everyone can leave as well, right? Um, these are all equal to everyone. And, you know, uh, we've seen with Moloch, that's a perfect example of it just being autonomous. You know, every Moloch, you know, while most of it 2019 was kind of coordinated by, by me, 
uh, late 2019, I even stepped in for a month or two, you know, just to help coordinate it, you know, and then someone else is stepping in, you know, and, you know, it's like this, like passing the baton back and forth. And, you know, there's never been a solid presence, you know, coordinating Moloch Dow. And if everyone, if half of the members disappeared, someone, someone else would step up and be like, okay, you know, what do we do now? Right. Uh, and that's the beauty of like coordinating via smart contracts, right? Because, and as opposed to a bank account, because if someone, you know, <laughs> let's say the main uh, CFO or the CIO of a company dies, right? Um, and they had, they were the only access to the bank account. You just basically have to go through the process of like, okay, you know, this guy uh, doesn't have access more. You, you have to give us access, right? Um, you know, and then go through the process of KYC and proving that you, you are actually the owner or uh, majority control of the company, et cetera, right? Uh, I mean, Dave, you can probably speak on this a lot more, right? When <laughs> the, the, the control of the financial control of the company uh, ceases to exist or disappears, right? But, you know, in that case, life goes on in a doubt, mostly. Or they can, if, if the members want, they can leave and dis uh, dissipate, right? Um, you know, because if it's, you know, because essentially, the members of the DAO are, you know, uh, incentivized to create net positive some games, right? Essentially, so to me, very autonomous. You know, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't like. It may be like less, uh, it, it may be less granular of a form of autonomy uh, it, to most people because it's about humans, and you know, humans are a bit more, you know, uh, whole and you know, maybe discreet compared to you know, numbers and money. But you know, it's the same thing, right? You know, smart contracts, money markets coordinate money. Uh, to do certain things uh, within a certain boundary of rules. Uh, this, uh, I guess, DAOs or Moloch DAOs, for example, do so with humans. Gabriel, you might have some comments, but I think uh, I, I was mostly spending time in AI robotics space before uh, getting involved in crypto. And for me, when I hear autonomous, I think of like autonomous vehicles, autonomous machines. And but there seems to be, and, and I think this is the, the more commonly accepted definition of the A in DAO, which is autonomy in the sense that it's more like freedom. It's like an autonomous zone. So, but if we wanted to look at the other perspective of uh, DAOs eventually becoming actually autonomous, so like from a decision-making point of view with uh, less human input, um, I, I think that might not happen anytime soon. But what's interesting is I really, uh, I sent you the link, so I'll share it in the show notes. I really like this point of view that we already have super intelligence. Uh, it's just distributed and, and, and it's like mechanical Turks instead of uh, functions. Oh. Right. Well, humans are very autonomous. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are you, what are you talking about? Humans are extremely autonomous. You know, and if you create an organization full of humans, that's a very autonomous. It's an organization made up of very autonomous units. So, like, you know, I think people being like pedantic about it and just ignoring the sheer nature that um, it's like it's mostly ignoring human nature in these organizations, right? People tend to do things. <laughs> There's no leader, right? Uh, people, if they can, they will, right? I don't know. That's that's maybe just me being like you know, um, you know, having my that maybe just like one of my own opinions, right? But yeah, that's why it's, to me, like the idea of like it's not autonomous is just absurd. Right, right. Because I think at a point where I was reading the white paper again, uh, when you limit uh, what members can do, then you reduce them to like atomic decision making units, like uh, automatas, and uh, and 
they are in the inner way, they become robots. And what, what's interesting for me is uh, like, how do DAOs really change the existing, let's say, ownership power structures? There's like Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg. And, and like what I'm really worried about is not uh, super intelligence. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon, like the rogue AI situation. But it's more like uh, the, the amount of power that is in one person's hand, which is like, you know, Sergey Brin or uh mark zuckerberg so from this point of view how do you guys see DAOs changing the existing game you know like the, the do DAOs help uh make the the you know, ownership fair you know more distributed more democ democratic i think they enable people to do whatever people will do with them right and people are people and so some people, Peter's cheering right now, but yeah, I mean, there there will be, there's a reason why the term dark DAO exists, right? Like there, there are going to be black hat DAOs, there are going to be fascist DAOs, there are going to be communist DAOs, there are going to be democratic DAOs, uh, egalitarian DAOs, anarchist DAOs, right? Because uh, you can do, with free, freedom enables you to do anything you would want to do. Um, and, you know, there's no inherent value judgment about how you exercise that freedom i don't know if that answers your question or not but <laughs> uh no it, it's a good point in a way we're saying uh nothing really changes we're just empowering people to uh, well i think i think something does change I, i'm glad uh -huh. you know you mentioned that right because the one thing it i think the 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 thesis for all of this technology being a social good, right, is that it enables people, the, the core of the value of the cypherpunks was this idea that you could opt out from an oppressive uh, uh, political regime um, mm -hmm. in a manner that preserves your core human rights or core natural rights, however you want to see it, right? And so that is certainly true, right? Because uh, to the extent that this, you know, technology uh, isn't uh, subsists independently of any nation state and is sort of beyond the, in, the realm of interference by any nation state, that coordination mechanism helps people opt out of oppressive political circumstances, right? And so that, well, that can be seen as an inherent good, even though, of course, people could also abuse that freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in a way, uh, there will be this kind of parallel, maybe we could call it anarchist, virtual universe of many DAOs with their own sovereignty and their own you know, local autonomous zones that allows people to you know, more and more opt out of, you know, these oppressive regimes or just like this default options and, and have more options through participating in different DAOs. I wanted to uh, go a little bit into Metacartial Ventures itself. And um, I think Peter has a, had a very interesting journey. Um, I think we know each other from July or August uh, 2019. But um, like, what was the, the, the founding story of Metacarta? What, what was it like your idea from the beginning to, uh, you know, get to this point of starting a for-profit DAO? Uh, I think I also shared some comments on your forum. So what was the journey? And, and maybe then Gabriel could tell us where are you in the journey, in the process of actually making it happen? I guess, you know, uh, Medicato, uh, the name Meta, uh, stands for Metatransactions. We were a technical working group uh, in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mostly then working on Metatransactions. For those who don't know, um, 
It's a solution, UX solution that allows non-crypto users to interact with dApps and the blockchain, right? Non-crypto users don't have crypto, uh, hence it can't uh, send transactions. The solution is that you have a relay server that um, I guess uh, covers the cost of gas for the user so that users can just interact with anything, right? Um, and we, the project that spun out of Metacartel then, you know, um, was uh, called the gas station network, right? We we're trying to solve decentralized meta transactions. And I guess the meta cartel name really just came about as a funny joke, right, early on. Um, and essentially the story of how um, we became, we started meta cartel DAO initially, right, the grants giving DAO that funds DAPs, uh, DAP experimentation, was, uh, came from Moloch, right? Well, it, essentially, uh, I, I allude to Moloch DAO being the four minute mile of DAOs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mainly because, you know, before Moloch DAO existed, uh, I guess uh, everyone still, still kind of theorizes a lot about DAOs. Everyone fantasized about DAOs, you know, everyone, you know, <laughs> still dreamt about them, you know, you know, the PTS DAO was still on the air, if you will, right? And, you know, Mo Moloch DAO came along that no other, you know, DAO group or framework did, right, was take, you know, it was find a key problem, right, which was then, you know, if you're in public good funding, and build a very, very easy and simple NDP and you know, deploy it and coordinate funding. And they did it very quickly and they coordinated initially over $200,000 from about over 20-ish members. And this was in you know, uh, East Denver last year, right? And the interesting, and that really caught my attention because it was like, oh, wow, these things can work. These things can exist today. That's great. And I alluded to the four minute mile because you know, before the first person ran the four minute mile, no one thought it could be done. And after it was done, everyone started doing it because, you know, the mental um, uh, barrier was crossed, right? And I think that was what Moloch was, right? And, you know, I, being like a very interesting experiment, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I want to join Moloch. Uh, I don't have a lot of money. So I, I was like, hey, you know, here's 10 ETH I pledge. You know, that was actually like half of the, like half of 50% of the ETH I owned back then. <laughs> and, you know, like, um, I just uh, tried to apply. They rejected me, even though I was championed by Mean. And in the postmortem call, you know, uh, Mean was like, "Why don't you fork uh, Moloch down and do your own DAO?" And you know, um, that's kind of. And I guess that's kind of what I just uh, felt just, like we should. You just doubted. It. That's how. Well, yeah, it, I thought it was. I thought it was funny. Um, it, I, you know, initially I was like, "Let's do it as a joke because it's hilarious." Ah, ha ha! I, I was reject first ever rejected member from Moloch DAO. And then, you know, we were working on uh, a DAP incubator back then within Metacartel. So we put two and two together, right? And came up with a simple MVP of like, let's just do a grab, uh, I guess, a DAO that funds DAPs, right? Um, and, you know, go from there and see what happens, right? Like, you know, 2019 was really all about grant givings, uh, DAOs, right? Uh, for those who don't know about Moloch DAO, you know, uh, and some of those people have, may have heard also heard about Moloch Ventures, right? Moloch DAO was even the MVP of the larger vision around Moloch Ventures, right? Which was a venture studio uh, that funded dApps, right? And, you know, they, they essentially have been working on Moloch DAO for a long time and only in the late 2018 did they, you know, decide to uh, cut down the scope and, you know, build something much more minimal, right? Um, and I guess, you know, um, coming from that angle and coming from that lineage, right? It was like, you know, let's start off with something very simple, right? MVP grants DAOs, right? And now I guess where we're at right now is seeing whether we can push a needle and actually um, experiment, you know, take one step further and, you know, create for-profit uh, DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, in, the way uh, I always looked at uh, Moloch and, and like the re reason I thought it got, got so much traction was 
it was like an, a purpose-built ASIC for maybe one uh, use case. And, and it made it simpler. And because of this, people could trust it. And like there are other frameworks, DAO stack, Aragon. Uh, it, like I, the feeling was that there's just so much you know, code there, you, you don't even know where to start. You, and you, you know, being, uh, I think, I mean, the kind of person he is, he didn't really want to just use someone else's code maybe without. No, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, none of the frameworks back then had a feature known as rage quit, right? That's, that's um, a very good point. I think we should... all, all of the DAOs back, all of the DAOs back then were one way as in, if you put in your funds, mm -hmm. you had to be, uh, to leave the DAO with your appropriate share funds, you, it was permissioned. Right, mm -hmm. you couldn't leave permissionlessly, and basically you have to trust other members uh, to leave the DAO. And Fasa made it very expensive and perhaps very risky to even join a DAO in the first place. Right, mm -hmm. um, and that was a key uh, problem, you know, that um, kind of caused a lot of problems with the DAO itself. You know, <laughs> people couldn't withdraw the funds, you know, permissionlessly. Um, you know, and I guess you know, with the Moloch team back then, right? They just you know they invented this idea called rage quit, right? And essentially what it was is, is basically it's a function within the Moloch DAO smart contracts that allowed anyone to leave um, the DAO with an equal pro rata share of funds, right? At any time, as mm -hmm. long as they didn't have like, you know, uh, as long as they haven't voted yes uh, to an existing proposal, right? Uh, and that's because, you know, if you voted yes, you know, uh, it prevents you from leaving so, so that you face the full consequences of what you voted for. But aside from that, right, you can leave any time. Um, and, you know, none of the DAOs had that, and this made it really easy and low risk, right, to join, in, join Moloch DAO back then, because you could leave any time, you know, if someone, if a proposal came across uh, and was passed by the DAO that you didn't agree with or like, uh, you could leave, right? Mm -hmm. If a new member joined, uh, you know, and you didn't like it, you could leave any time. So, no, it wasn't just like him wanting to build his own software. I fully agree. And that was actually, I, I had this Twitter thread. The first question was that rage quit is probably the key innovation and killer feature of Moloch family of DAOs. And maybe where Gabriel could come in and about you know, where you guys are in the journey, like what does this really enable? I think it's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, let me, yeah, I, I could jump in there. So, you know, the, from, a, from sort of a corporate lawyer's point of view, traditional corporate governance point of view, the, I see those, those old DAOs prior to Moloch DAO as, sort of representing the worst of both worlds, right? Because um, you have the same custodial type of issue where you've irrevocably committed capital, right? Uh, as you do in a traditional organization, a traditional corporation, right? Uh, but on the other hand, you have none of the social and law-based protections that you would have with a traditional organization, such as a, a clear representative who has fiduciary duties to you, right? Um, you know, a way to sue those people if they abuse your funds and abuse your trust and so on and so forth, right? So that was really the worst of both worlds. And what Rage Quit uh, is, is essentially a software-based minority protection mechanism, right? So most corporate governance law 
really exists. In fact, there's an entire giant treatise about Delaware law called oppression of minority stockholders, right? And, and, and what rage quit is, is this very elegant solution that doesn't need any of the things that are in that like thousand pages of that book, you know, which are all legal based protections. It just says you can automatically take your money out and no one can stop you. Right. So I just, mm -hmm. you know, as a corporate governance guy, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, you know, and I think it's very uh, cool and useful. So it, it might even be so useful that uh, non-DAO, boring-ass old corporations, they start adopting rage quit. Well, I don't, a corporation couldn't because a corporation, uh -huh. and this, you know, this ties into your question a little bit. Where are we, where are we going? What are we doing? So, you know, a corporation ha is is a fairly inflexible legal structure. Like, you uh -huh. can't really waive the directors, at least not completely. Um, you know, and this sort of thing. There must be a board of directors. You know, and so on. Uh, so, but what a lot of people do is they use LLCs, right? And one reason why we use a Delaware LLC specifically is it, it kind of goes to the far extreme of, uh, you know, state-backed entities in allowing uh, fiduciary duties to be completely eliminated, depending on whether you count the covenant of good faith and fair dealing as a fiduciary duty, which which I don't, uh, but but some do. Um, and that's not waivable. But everything else is waivable, duty of loyalty, duty of care, et cetera. And so most, like most investment funds, even traditional ones, uh, actually do take advantage of that and they waive and eliminate those fiduciary duties. So, which is why to be an LP in like sort of like a, like a podunk, um, like in middle market investment fund is like one of the worst investments you can ever make, right? Because you have no control. The people have no duties to you. It's like those old school DAOs, right? Um, um, now, if you, the interesting thing is if you take that same bad LLC structure and now you use the smart contract for your accounting, suddenly now it's no longer bad. And it actually makes sense that the fiduciary duties are waived because people can get their money out. So essentially that's that's what we're doing with Metacartel Ventures. We have an LLC, right, which I'm gonna officially form on Monday, you know, all the documents are drafted. But, um, you know, we have this LLC, the fiduciary duties are waived and unlike 99% of cases it actually makes sense to do so, uh, you know, because of this software-based protection. That's, I think, well, the definitely the most exciting feature and it opens up so many opportunities. So one of the things that um, I'm curious about is, you know, when you have uh, this ability to rage quit at any point of time, um, does it mean that it's like binary in or out? Isn't there any way for you to opt out of one specific deal or is that considered, I think there was a clause that you can't really use the DAO as your personal bank account and go in and out too much? You don't have to either be a member or not, right? You can reduce your ownership. Um, and what you can do is, as Peter mentioned, the, the way the voting works, right, is a proposal is put up. Uh, and, and since there are no representatives, every new deal has to be approved, right? Um, so, you know, the proposal for the new deal is put up. If you did not vote yes on the proposal, you can exit before it goes into effect, right? And so therefore, the effects of the approval of that proposal, i.e. that deal being entered into, would not affect your financial situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that, that's kind of the idea. If you did vote yes, of course, then you must at least remain until that proposal goes into effect. Otherwise, there would be perverse incentives to sort of like vote for a bad proposal and then leave, thus griefing others with the bad effects. Right, right. 
so uh does that actually it is it okay to behave like that to uh you know just opt in and out but not completely and and then it also creates this uh maybe edge scenario that it, you guys i didn't see you address it in the white paper there were a couple of game theoretic scenarios but what what about the opposite of rage quit? That would be like enthusiastic join. <laughs> so if you're really excited about one of the deals, what if you just like pump in like a shit ton of cash? You know, again, someone might want to do that. I would see that as being like a decentralized securities broker dealer, right? You know, which would, because you're essentially connecting people up with certain deals, um, you know, and, and presumably you would want to be compensated in some way for making that connection. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that implicates all the broker dealer regulations, et cetera. So that would be bad for that reason. Um, and also just wasn't really, I think what Peter wanted to pursue. Yeah. But do we have the same understanding? So it's, it's like this individual or this entity, they, uh, and it, like the more fundamental question is this. Uh, is it okay or what are the conditions for uh, adding funds, uh, you know, uh, after the first uh, raise? I don't know how right. the fund is structured. Is no, it I mean, closed-ended yeah. or open-ended? Uh, all, all funds in are permissioned, right? Uh -huh. um, and, you know, all tokens uh, that the fund will ever manage needs to be first whitelisted via a proposal itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, essentially... Um, if the DAO, let's say the DAO, you know, operates for two years, right? And it's share, each share of the DAO has, you know, now, uh, you know, up to 20 tokens now, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we have to essentially evaluate the, the value of the share and actually decide whether we want to have someone uh, come into the DAO and, you know, buy into the DAO and also, like, at the same time, you know, purchase and gain ownership slash, uh, equity uh -huh. or, or ownership, right, of right. these tokens, uh, you know, I guess... Uh, that is uh, that are backed by the the tokens of the DAO, right? Um, and you know, oftentimes maybe it's like you know we might let someone who might add a lot of value to the DAO in, you know, but we might probably might not let someone uh, a, a large you know VC come in, or whatever, right? Or a large investor come in, mainly because it would just uh, over dilute you know everyone else's share of the uh, of the of the tokens, right? Let's say we're making really good deals, then you know we might actually not want any more money to dilute our own ownership of them. Mm -hmm. um G gabriel i think it, there is like an, an, a normal uh vc fund uh in the process for this so let's say you uh you're raising and then you have the first close and then someone joins after a year or year and a half of the fund but what what like does small ventures even consider this these kind of scenarios yeah so people can keep joining sort of on an ad hoc basis right as long as they're voted in and they have the right qualifications um the uh there is a, a legal aspect to this right which is there's something called the investment company act of 1940 which regulates investment companies uh and and uh investment company in, in a sense this is an investment company but in the securities law sense it investment companies have to be registered and they have to sort of be sufficiently large scale before that registration requirement is triggered. So mm -hmm. 
since you know we're not going to be at the scale for some significant time to be a registered investment company, nor would probably the SEC or anyone else have the faintest idea how to make you know one of these autonomous organizations compliant with the the various rules. We have to remain under that threshold, so that's going to limit the scale, right? So uh, it's essentially the rule is I'm simplifying it somewhat, but it's you know you you can't have more than a hundred equity holders. Uh, and you um, and you can't really do like a public offering of the securities. You can't just go out and say, "Hey, anyone can buy them, etc." Um, so you are in a way using this investment club uh, exemption. That that's no. Peter yeah, yeah, we, we 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 basically are. That's because he has one type of investment club in mind, you know. But there uh -huh. are two. There there are two types. You know, one he has in mind the the sort of oh, it, everyone just like invest independently for themselves, but at the same time model. And it's not that, right? Um, no, no, but, it, no. but it is an investment club in the sort of regulatory- Like everyone uh, has to sense. participate. That, that, that's right. Yeah, like, it's, it's it's a flat. It's it's basically like a true partnership where mm -hmm. it is member managed. There isn't like you know, this isn't passive investors coming in and say, "Hey, uh, Peter, you're really good at picking these things. You decide what to invest in." So in that sense, mm -hmm. it's very but you know, um, I was reading the white paper, and maybe uh, Peter, you could tell us uh, a little bit about the different roles of members. Uh, it it looks like you can have semi-passive uh, uh, investors as goblins. Maybe you could first tell us, you know, what are these three types of uh, roles for members of the DAO? And just before I even go into that, right? I guess you know, just as context, you know, we've uh, the reason you know Medicato you know decided to create a community-driven uh, and community-run DAO, right, as opposed to a traditional uh, venture fund managed by a small group of like uh, general partners, right. Was mainly because you know uh, yes you know uh, pushing the idea of DAOs, but also mainly because Medicato's community uh, you know uh, was its strength right uh, had a lot of you know diverse uh, people with different expertise in it right uh, different insights and you know we wanted to we saw that as an our advantage and we wanted to leverage that right uh, and you know essentially because of that you know we've we kind of see venture DAO as you know. Uh, a venture, I guess, uh, I guess, investment company, right? Uh, or not in the not in the legal sense. I guess investment club, right? Um, that's you know looking to have a much more active participation uh, from its uh, members, right? So like while you know, yes, we have you know passive members, right? Um, most of the DAO, right, and anyone can actually become an active investor or like I guess a partner in the DAO, right, as they will. So there are mainly three, there's three roles, right? Mainly uh, in the DAO for now. And so firstly, um, we have the mage, right? Essentially mages are partners in the DAO, right? Or the entity that have full managerial rights and informational rights. And basically they can do, you know, essentially the active, they're considered active, right? So I guess that would, that would be what determines uh, the mage status. Um, and, you know, we have um, goblins. Um, basically, goblins are mages who are passive, right? And but only accredited investors can be goblins. Um, and essentially, we have a third uh, class, which is the summoners. And they may, summoners may or may not have shares in the DAO, but they're the ones mainly doing a lot of, you know, the operations and you know the other services um, to the DAO, like legal services, coordination, or you know, uh, accounting, like you know, preparing K ones, etc. Um, but these are, yeah, these are the, just the main three outlines. The the summoners uh, they 
probably if they're not accredited investors and they're not investing funds into the DAO, they will not have any uh, shares in, in the. Yeah, the song, like, the song, they could have shares, right? But the idea is that there's a obviously like any type of venture, this will need service providers, right? And it may just pay those people, you know, with, with payment, you know, with die or something like that, right? Um, so that that's kind of the idea, right? There could be service providers. They may or may not also be members, right? Um, but you're going to need those people. So I think uh, going back to this uh, SEC investment club classification, in a sense, you are being more careful. You are going to register as a, what do you call it? As as an in, as a partnership that invests in securities, right? Uh, so no, you... there, there's no. We'll actually be under the registration threat threshold, right? So we won't we won't have to register, right? But we're very mindful, you know, of those legal requirements. Right. So uh, and to comply with them, make sure everyone's aware of them. Right. Uh, that's. But there are also some benefits to being above that threshold. Right. There was this number of five million. Maybe you could tell us, you know, what is the benefit that you get after that uh, threshold is reached? Well, well, the five million, that's a different that's a different thing. Right. Because there are two types of securities issues for something like, you know, a venture fund, right? On the one hand, there you have to comply with securities laws when you issue securities in the fund itself, right? Uh, to the investors in the fund. On the other hand, the fund may be investing in other projects and those investments also have to be done compliantly with securities laws. So what the $5 million amount relates to is whether the fund, the LLC is counts as an accredited investor for purposes of investing in private placements, right? And that's one way that an entity can be an accredited investor. The other way it can be accredited is, is if all of the entities equity holders are themselves independently accredited. So that, that that's the 5 million relates to. It's a different point than the 100 member limit, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, both of those can limit scale, limit opportunities, et cetera. And I think it's kind of probably good that we're starting at a small scale, right? Because it's all a grand experiment, you know, and we'll learn as we go along, et cetera. But some people may say, uh, let's see, you know, not decentralized enough, it's not big enough, et cetera. And, and the, I think a key differentiator uh, from like venture out any other investment uh, entity is that, you know, our LPs are ourselves, you know, um, you know, where we can do whatever we want, essentially, as the group decide, as, as Gabe literally said earlier, you know, a group of people will decide to do whatever they want. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of venture firms, you know, uh, don't have this flexibility. You know, the LPs are made up of universities, foundations. They have, you know, uh, strict, you know, uh, limitations on the scope of what they can invest into. You know, a lot of VCs missed Ethereum because, you know, it just didn't look like the typical investment they raised their fund for, right? Um, you know, and I actually think that, you know, uh, a big part of venture now is really understanding, you know, what are the new business models and what are the new crypto-native investment opportunities to make money from, right? And seeing where we can go that you know, traditional investors can't go ever, right? Or perhaps even, um, perhaps not now, but you know, um, I definitely think you know we want to be pushing the barriers of like you know what's possible uh, as a crypto native investor, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think of- uh, you know you have access to uh, new investment opportunities that are so under the radar that you know those traditional funds. First, probably they don't even know, then they'll have to get to know them, trust them, and then uh, maybe they're not even allowed to invest in, you know, these kinds of opportunities. Yeah. The information asymmetry is going to be, uh, it's going to be night and day. 
Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. like if the if there is, you know, uh, I'm personally like even probably more comfortable even saying like, you know, if there is like a new asset class like the ERC twenty or you know, or the NFT or the NFT, right? We might probably be the first ones to play with it. You know, like you know, we can. Um, actually, in, experiment, you know, financially uh, with skin, skin in the game, with, uh, at a, at, uh, without risking ourselves, right? You know, we can throw, we can play around of ideas by throwing a hundred dollars here and there, actually, right, to learn, right, uh, and gain that information asymmetry. Um, we can actually do these fairly efficiently as well, yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah. I wish we could have this gif like shut up and take my money. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, um, I, like my mind is kind of exploding with these branching trees of questions. So let me start. I wish we could uh, do all of them in parallel. So the first one would be, uh, what is the minimum, let's say investment required or what is max? What, what's the range? So, uh, I think you are already uh, talking to people to take, taking investments. So maybe tell us a bit about that. Gabe, we probably shouldn't talk about this, right? Um, oh. because it might be considered a general solicitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've trained you well, clearly. <laughs> That's fair. Wow. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah. I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, obviously, again, we're mostly sourcing this from people already in this community, right? So it's sort of, it's a little. It, it is, it is kind of a private offering. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very proud of yes. myself. Yes, of yes. Maybe you've taught me well. <laughs> like, you're you're on training wheels. You have to go on podcasts with Gabe for like the first ten podcasts, and then you'll be like autonomous soon. <laughs> you'll have your internal Gabe. So so it, it's uh, it's basically people you already know, and it's it's a closed community. But the the maybe the next question is. Uh, does it mean existing non-accredited investors who are, you know, members of Metacartel, DAO, or Moloch, you know, people that you know, could they uh, get involved at this stage, or you, they can only get involved when you pass that threshold? Uh, they, they, they potentially could if they're, you know, if they have a managerial role and you know understand exactly what, because those are also uh, people with that type of supervisory role. In one sense, you could look at it that they're accredited. In another sense, you could look at it that what they're acquiring is not actually a security because there's a presumption under U.S. securities laws that interest in general partnerships are not securities. Whichever way you slice it, they may be eligible and certain of those people might participate. So the next one is uh, I actually saw this line that the uh, MCV can still act kind of like a grants giving DAO. So it's it's a hybrid, it can it has both of them. So does it mean, um, can you have uh, people who are valuable, uh, you know, operators, and then they just, you know, help in some ways, marketing or business development, could they also join MCV in some way without d directly investing and then get compensated either uh, directly with let's say liquid assets would just eat or die or eventually through shares or claims i think it really depends on what the assets the dow's holding right and you know how involved they will be and you know what deals the dow is really engaging at that time right um but gabe you want to speak on that a bit more uh yeah i agree i mean ultimately the members can do whatever the members want to do right if they want to do charitable grants in a certain sense they can certainly do that right right 
So but, yeah, but, and, I, and I guess, you know, we already have a metacartal, I guess that was one of the design decisions early on. It was like, you know, uh, do we turn metacartal DAO, the grandscaping uh, DAO into the for-profit ventures DAO or do we create a new one, right? And in the end, we decided to keep uh, both interests separate, right? So we have a, uh, a charity grandscaping ecosystem value focused DAO, right? That's just really focused on creating ecosystem value mm-hmm. uh, and community building, you know, and I guess venture DAO is really, you know, just out to experiment, you know, and find profit, right, uh, for our investments. So in a way, maybe one of the ways to uh, give back to the community from, from this for-profit DAO, if the members decide, could be to give, I know, like 1% or 5% to the non-profit grants-giving DAO as kind of like a top of the funnel. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, that's definitely one of the things I have in mind, right, just having a very small incentive alignment of like we're just gonna you know if we ever hit if we ever make x amount of money we're gonna give you know like a small percentage right back to the uh, medical school jail i also think that you know like a lot of people have been asking me you know is uh, venture doubt you're part of the medical community whatever and yeah you know like uh to me you know the medical community is big and wide we have a, (laughs) a lot of different projects in the metaverse right and you know by engaging with the medical community and being a medical jail member right uh, you definitely have like a lot of privileges in regards to you know having access to venture DAO. You know you're just a bit closer to everyone who's kind of involved, right? And you know um, ideas flow a bit more. But you know, it, I, yeah, I guess you know um, it's just I guess uh, another chapter in the metaverse, just like in a Tarantino movie, if you will. Right, right. I agree. So uh, you know, another point that I, it was also in my Twitter thread uh, questions was. Um, also, personally, for myself, I'm not really that interested in DApps, gen- general DApps. Uh, and I work uh, at, I think, an AI company that deals a little bit with blockchain. I think uh, you know Trend. And uh, so, is there, you know, even this thought of creating leagues or sub uh, expert committees of investing in, you know, certain verticals? That, like, that would be what I would personally be interested in rather than generally investing in you know, all kinds of dApps. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. You know, like I think, you know, the venture DAO, will, uh, I guess dApps was really the initial kind of, uh, I guess, focus. But, you know, if the members want to invest into other things, you know, they will, right? Um, and it, you, the members may even want to invest into uh, things outside of the firm. If they want to do so, you, you know, you can't really stop the members, right? Uh, but, you know, obviously right now, there's a firm focus, right? And to your point about, you know, sub DAOs, right? Um, yeah, it makes sense. If members, there's enough members that want to invest into AI uh, projects, right? They might just spin out and, you know, focus on that. Um, I am, one big question has come up recently, uh, you know, uh, uh, more addressing you, Gabe, right? Like, you know, is that, you know, are DAOs structures the best way to invest into DAOs? And like, I, my gut sense is just no, <laughs> right? You know, because you, what, essentially, one of the limitations of these DAOs is that, you know, if you do have a legal entity and you are setting it up to be a revenue generating DAO, right? You do have these um, investor company limitations of a hundred people, right? And is it that wise, you know, throwing, you know, uh, I guess money from a hundred people or 80 people automatically into a new DAO, right? Right. Uh, yeah, it makes me think that it's it just like, to me, I am starting to doubt that, you know, and really think about how do you, if I were to really uh, invest into DAOs, what would, be the, what would be the vehicle in which I would do so? Right. And that's kind of been a fairly existential one recently, right? Because it's like, how do I, you know, do I curate them? You know, do I, you know, uh, just signal and get people to come in 
Because to me, this is the future of the VC firm that invests into DAOs, right? Because I, I've been really taking the viewpoint of like, in the future, people will go full time to build communities and DAOs. It will be just as lucrative and powerful as building a company. It, you know, and assuming this, you know, that these DAOs will emerge even before there's a legal entity, before even there's a pitch deck, you know, starting as a telegram group, how do you invest when, you know, there's not even, you know, a logo or any Twitter accounts available and it's just another project, right? Uh, another chat room. You know, I think that, you know, as, as the possibilities of how early, can, how early can best get, you know, much more granular and, you know, uh, down the funnel or, or up the funnel, if you will, I'm starting to question the role and the advantages of a traditional uh, venture firm that's coordinated uh, by a group of LPs and GPs, right? And even structures like venture. I'm, I'm really starting to question that, right? Of like, how do you invest when you're at these new early stages, right? Um, and uh, that's kind of kept me up in the last few nights, <laughs> actually, really, you know, uh, thinking about these ideas. Because to me, this is like two to three years off. Like, I want to, I really think, you know, I've been seeing a lot more DAOs come across my desk mainly uh, for feedback and such. And I think like um, we're going to see a lot of DAOs that people don't, uh, people will be surprised and it'll hit people suddenly, you know, uh, from 2021 of how many DAOs there are. And I think, you know, it's definitely an area in which you can probably invest full time in. Uh, that's my uh, perspective, right? Um, yeah. And that's why I've been thinking about these ideas. Thank you, Peter. That's what I wanted. You guys just becoming co-hosts, basically. So just just as, as a very short comment, I think maybe there are two ways to look at this. One is MetaCartel Ventures investing in other DAOs. So you, you look at that, how, you, how that could work. I think the answer is no with the current structure. Another one is maybe, Gabriel, you could start thinking about like a fund of funds, DAO DAOs, that, that invests in MCV. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, in theory, all that stuff is super cool. Yeah, the legal side does become an obstacle to some of that. And again, Peter's honorary law degree is is in the mail, you know, because mm -hmm. yeah, there are there are these look through rules and, and so on, right? And so like, you know, obviously the the law sets a hundred investor limit. Um, that like, you know, the pretty obvious end around that is just to get like one entity in and then have like, you know, 100 people in it, right? And then suddenly you're at 200, right? So th there are things like that. But on the other hand, I see no reason in principle, especially as we like iterate on this and learn what we're doing. Like one day, I have no doubt that there will be a DAO that's just registered as an investment company, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's no existential obstacle to that. You know, we just have to get to the point of being comfortable with that and get the regulators comfortable with that. So things like that will happen and then you'll be able to do more creative things at more scale and so on. I agree, uh, one step at a time. Oh, yeah. as it means, you know, one, one hill at a time, right? You go up one hill and then you can see the top of the other hills and then you can decide to go for which one you want. Very good point. That might be something for Ryan Zur. I, I, I don't know if he ended up actually launching the DAO 2.0 or that that was no, I, I'm, I'm hearing no from. <laughs> so so that this this might be an interesting uh, new direction to look into maybe a larger fund of funds that would invest in other DAO opportunities. Uh, uh, Peter, you have a comment or just think? Yeah. I, I think definitely it's way still early, uh, too early, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I even may think, you know, this is um, the process of like watching DAOs emerge, you know, uh, operate, you know, find profit and really find out, you know, uh, I guess asymmetric success in the space 
it might even be a two to three year or five year journey, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you're, might- you're very optimistic, but yeah, I like that you're talking multiple oh, years. Like, here's the thing, right? You know, if if you look into the history of venture capital, right? Um, you know, basically this uh, Silicon Valley, you know, uh, area, right, um, was based mainly seed funded through the government, uh, government funding, right, uh, R&D mm-hmm. for defense. This mm-hmm. basically created a lot of talent, right, uh, in the in and around the universities, um, right, a lot of technical talent, and you know. A lot of the professors at these universities were actually the ones who created Silicon Valley. You know, they actually uh, were the truly entrepreneurial ones pushing the students to go out and build companies. Well, mainly because funding was running out from universities and they had to find jobs, right? <laughs> so, you know, it was actually, you know, born out of uh, these universities. And early on, right, there weren't a lot of venture capital funds, right? I think, you know, um, there was like, 90, like 99% of the funding uh, in the early you know, 70s and mid 70s uh, were like from uh, government funding and, you know, 1% were like venture capital money, right? Uh, and only did, you know, uh, in the 1980, when, the, when Apple IPO'd, did it really kind of completely prove out the idea of a tech company, a tech VC-backed tech company, right? And that made a lot of money for a lot of different people. And that seeded a ton of capital for the, for the you know, Silicon Valley, you know, era and as well as the San Francisco era, Right, of like, and that's what kind of kickstarted this uh, 30, 50, 60 year, you know, run as it has been. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I kind of see that, you know, we need, I guess, with um, ICOs, right, that happened with Ethereum and Bitcoin, right? Um, you know, they found like thousands of percent in returns for investors, right? And that started the manhunt or just the hunt, right? Um, for like all these different other coins that may a thousand X and moon, right? I think, you know, we're, we're, de- we're for sure still yet to see for like, you know, uh, downs, right? Um, and I think that, um, yeah. And, and I think until we kind of see that moment, right? Um, financially, you know, we, we, it's still gonna be still relatively small uh, uh, kind of market, uh, you know, um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um kind of two branches from here from the same Twitter thread. There was this uh, really hard question apparently that asked about how, like, do you see on-chain businesses making money besides just uh, coins mooning? So maybe that's, uh, here's a good time to start thinking about that. So um, what what do you think right now could be new opportunities? These like NFTs as collateral, they're really interesting, but just want to know what do you think um you know i mean you're really asking me you know like what on-chain businesses are out there that can make real money right um pretty bullish on like uh anything to do with nfts mainly because nfts are some of the highest margin goods out there in ethereum because you know they're just numbers in blockchain and you give them value and meaning and suddenly they're worth hundreds of dollars right um you know they're unlimited they're you know you can create them you can create scarcity as well as create quantity artificially as long as you create the value and brand and meaning behind those tokens, right? Uh, and it's a lot more upfront than ICOs where it's like, you know, or just uh, token systems in many senses where it's like, you know, uh, it's you're buying this, that you're buying this cute, fluffy Axie Infinity toy or NFT because you find it cute and it's it's in a game, right? <laughs> um, and funny enough, you can actually make money for that. But, you know, um, I, I think that uh, otherwise, you know, Generally, I think, you know, Web3 can be very useful. Uh, and when you build really useful tools, they get used and, you know, you can just 
Uh, I've seen that you know a lot of traditional business models like fee percentages and subscriptions might work very well, but we're still yet to see a lot of crypto native uh, business models emerge and kind of come into fruition. So I, I have I have two. So one is um, uh, my friend Mark Goldich at Lawcoin X. They are uh, tokenizing uh, litigation, basically. Right. So uh, litigation financing has become, you know, very hot and very sort of accepted in the last two years. Right. Where there's sort of like a big potential claim against uh, some like large corporate defendant or something like that. And um, some, like a class action attorney needs financing to pursue that claim. And people think it's going to be a big reward. Basically, all the investors can share in the contingency. If they're ultimately win, you're essentially investing in the talent of the lawyer who's leading the case because you think that they will win, right? Um, so they're, they're tokenizing those types of, uh, you know, litigation interests. So that that's, that's one, you know, great example. Another one uh, that's more kind of, along traditional venture company lines is uh, Fairmint, right? Which is trying to help startups tokenize uh, their revenue streams, almost like similar to an M&A earnout or like a very customized form of preferred stock, right? Um, and that's, you know, another kind of interesting sort of, you know, type of investment that straddles the line between uh, traditional equity investment and like blockchain. Yeah, I, I, we've been wanting to do the podcast with uh, Thibaut and his uh, co-founder for a while. They, I, I'm glad they finally launched and uh, hopefully we'll have some time. Both get of the, us in, the, in the meantime, you should get the LawCoin X guys because they're, they're really good okay. as well. Yeah, I'd okay. recommend. So, you know, my, my own answer in a way would be if there are uh, opportunities, um, MetaCartel Ventures and you guys probably, you will be the first people to find them. So... It's it's more about uh, just doubting it being out there and uh, think like one of the things that's missing right now is there's like this uh, still this like thick wall between builders and investors, uh, especially after you know the ICO mania is finished. So I think uh, entities like Metacarts Ventures they would be filling this this gap this this not not a void but this gap between. Uh, traditional investors and then the crazy ICO situation. So, so I, I hope to see actually many, uh, you know, uh, in DAOs, investment DAOs like Metacarta Ventures. Yeah, still waiting for the first fork. <laughs> when we launch, of course, then we'll see. Okay. No, I, I we had this uh, cool idea for metadata DAO. So, so let let's see if the the data community becomes more mature. Uh, we'll do the first uh, data AI DAO. But you know, if, if you wanted to zoom out a little bit, we talked about it a little bit. So I could combine these two questions. How would you see the venture investment you know, universe changing in maybe 10, 20 years or five years? Depends, you know, what's the scale for you? Yeah. Uh, it, the... if, 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 you know, SEC just you know, became more flexible. We're hearing interesting things, new regulations possibly. So how would you see this universe, you know, becoming more DAO-y and more blockchain-y in a couple of years? Um, I mean, just if like, I won't speak on the legals, right? But um, thinking a lot about like, you know, I think when you get, when people can uh, invest into projects from such an early stage, right? From like even a pre-idea or pre-project stage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, through DAOs. Um, it does change, you know, um, it does widen like the scope and broaden what's possible that you can invest into. I, I just basically like, I, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to is that 
um, aggregation uh, and discovery of uh, venture projects and the vetting of them are going to be 100x harder than ever at the earlier stages. And I actually think, you know, being in a community uh, with the project, right, uh, early stage project, I actually have a better chance at vetting it and actually capturing these early, you know, uh, chances at capturing uh, value by investing in them as opposed to a venture investor, right? Uh, traditionally, right now, that would just sit above in the broader ecosystem waiting for the good opportunities to approach them. Right. Mm -hmm. I actually think, you know, these DAOs will approach people and the community members first, right? And these community members will capture the value first. And, you know, I actually struggle to think, you know, if you're coming from a professional investor's point of view, right, how would you operate, right, to capture these, uh, to basically find these um, early stage and, you know, higher return and, of course, higher risk opportunities. You know, I just think it forces perhaps investors to be much more focused, much more niche focused, perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. um, it definitely potentially even blows, you know, the ideal venture investor or angel investor, you know, from community member with like the investor role, right? Um, that's why I'm like, you know, I, I I struggle to think of like, and still trying to retrofit, you know, where do VCs fit into the down narrative and picture when we have a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, they're definitely a venture capitalist, right? Uh, with a lot of DAOs. It's just like, uh, you know, how will they operate? You know, I just don't, I struggle to see them operating in the same way. Very quick question, I think both of you could answer. So can a, an existing VC fund also become a member of uh, MCV or do they need to be individuals at this stage? So most entities um, cannot, most, well, it depends, right? You know, it depends on the NC and structure, right? Uh, you know, for example, for the general partnership, right? Um, then uh, most likely, no, because, you know, the many of the venture firms and equity owners, right, uh, or LPs, right, um, that are tied to the entity. And essentially, you know, they would likely bring more than 100 in many cases, if not a significant number of uh, uh, down members all at once, even though they're, you know, just one venture firm, right? Um, and because of that, you know, mostly it's just, you know, uh, those kind of entities can't participate. Um, Lex, you want to talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, it's basically the same thing we mentioned before, right? It's just there can be this look through, et cetera. So it's possible. I mean, a lot of venture funds, um, you know, I think that most of them have limitations on investing in other venture funds, right? So that's one aspect. Um, otherwise, though, they theoretically could be able to do so because they're usually only going to have accredited members. Right. Um, and so, you know, if, if it didn't cause us to kind of go over the 100 member threshold, you know, I, I suppose in theory we could do it. I don't know. You know, my sort of hope slash suspicion is that the the structure will be so flat and the community will be so good that people will be sort of loath to let in a, a professional uh, a professional <laughs> investor type you know that, that's sort of what i suspect i, I actually kind of like the so when uh when lex or uh, i mean gabe right like talked about you know and brought up the limitations of the 100 members uh you know limitation to look through i was like you know that's fine, actually, <laughs> you know, uh, because this actually forces us to, you know, find individuals to partake in it, right? Uh, we might have, you know, for example, some family offices, right, that are low uh, headcount or, you know, et cetera. But in the end, right, you know, it might be actually a really interesting idea that, you know, all of these investment DAOs uh, will be people uh, run and people first and community member first, right? And that 
you have the wider narrative of Web3. It's like funded by the people, <laughs> not yeah, institutions. Yeah, right. right. No, that's that's a beautiful idea, and uh, you could call it a venture for humans by humans. <laughs> So I think there are two interesting, uh, you know, options here that kind of emerge uh, because of this limitation. One is, um, like, what about creating uh, sidecar funds? So I know that's a thing for uh, normal VCs. If if you have a very, you know, uh, high growth uh, startup, you might want to put some specific investment into that one. So that is that maybe an option? And then the second one could be, if you reach a hundred people limit or for some reason you just want to, you know, have like a parallel DAO, there's nothing really stopping you guys from uh, sharing your deal flow with a mirror DAO. So imagine you have like an array of DAOs that each of them have like, you know, a bunch of mirror DAOs. So it, are any of these two uh, possible or like options to, to help? In 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 theory, yeah, they're possible. Of course, you know you have to be. We haven't really thought a whole lot about it, and you do have to be careful about that sort of thing. And of course, in traditional venture capital, venture capital funds do club with each other into investments in a certain sense um, mm -hmm. and sort of co-invest. On the other hand, you have to be careful with it because a given venture capital fund that isn't registered as a securities broker dealer doesn't want to be acting as a broker dealer for other venture funds. So mm -hmm. that those, you know, th those situations can be sticky and you have to be careful about them. If and when it makes sense for us to start doing a deep dive on that, you know, we will, but it, it hasn't really come up so far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can always just have like, once you fill up one deal, you could just like have a second deal, but show the same chat room. <laughs> like, uh, do you know what I mean? Like uh, the the most practical solution, because you know, um, like you know, most of the important areas of the DAO, like you know, communications underpins the uh, entire DAO, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. You could just share the same Discord, same same forums, uh, same chat, you know, and you know, you just get to each DAO to do proposals matching, right? Um, and you could even have equal members in both. Like you know, you have two DAOs and you just fill up. You have a new member, you fill one up, and then you send uh, the next one. That last part may be a bridge too far. <laughs> you you fell your logs out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yeah, these, this is the just creative ideas, I guess. Right, right. In, in theory, you could have like a clone DAO or the, the concept of like a meta clone DAO that they're like parasites that emerge with anonymous asshole investors that invest at the same time that, in everything. <laughs> that, that's very interesting that you mentioned that, right? Because you know, there actually are funds out there like hedge funds that huh. all they do is they just make all the same bets as like Carl Icahn's or George Soros's hedge fund, right? <laughs> um, so that already exists in the traditional, you know, capital markets. Um, uh -huh. and yeah, I'm sure the same thing would emerge, you know, with this stuff. Yeah, I think there was even like a, a Twitter handle that was like, it was like a fund that only invested with other top decile funds. <laughs> that, that was, that was their, their whole strategy <laughs> to just co-invest in everything that other top decile. I mean, I mean, if they're like upfront about it, you know, and that's a like thesis and hypothesis and, you know, like. It's, that was a parody account. It was, it was. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, oh right. I mean, like, it's like we only invest if, you know, uh, there's co-investors from this list. If they yeah. both at least two boxes, we're right. investing. That's yeah. a fun hypothesis. It's probably it'll make probably make money. I don't know, but I, I it'll think never so. get a good deal. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. They just one they day just there'll be that. one of one day there will be one of those funds that just tracks all Peter Pan's investments. I'm pretty sure. Like in 20 years, there'll be like there'll, there'll be one that's just it's just like the Peter Pan like like doppelganger DAO or something. Well, you know that all funds that only invest into YC companies, so it's not yes. even that far off. Right, right. The, there are actually Angela syndicates that just invest in each of these, you know, VC cohorts. So that that's definitely an interesting concept. Uh, it makes total sense. You know, you'll you'll probably lose less money. <laughs> in right. Obviously, the valuations, right? And you'll have all the logos in in your investment portfolio, despite putting like two thousand dollars. <laughs> most important part of the logos you have in your website. Yes, yes. I, I wish you guys the best logos and 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 deal flow. I think this is a good point to to. Uh, that's a, that's an epic. Up. That's an epic tagline. It's like I wish you guys the best logos. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the way it works, I think. Uh, so, uh, any uh, you know closing thoughts? I, I I used to ask people, what would you do if you had like a hundred billion dollars or a hundred clones of yourself? So I'm valuing you guys at one billion per per clone. This is really generous. So, do do you want to answer this question or any closing thoughts? So both are okay. Yeah, if I had clones of myself, I would. Finish all the novels and poetry things I started in my twenties. Learn React. Finish learning React. Learn Solidity. Start a legal tech company, and then like just hang around at the SEC's offices, constantly trying them to like get to like adopt like Thanks adopt to the my water thoughts. cooler. Yeah, yeah, but oh, like a, like a job, not not to insider trade, just to persuade okay. them about my vision. You should just like drop essays on the um, right. you know the lobby table exactly like, yeah. yes <laughs> just airdrops of like my like thought pieces in the sec offices yeah you you want to ddos sec with lexes like the lex army <laughs> okay and peter uh i would probably if i had how many people of me like clones uh, you could have a, like a mix you could have like 99 billion and one of you or Actually, yeah, actually, you could have a hundred billion and zero of you. That's also an option <laughs> if you want to commit suicide. So, if, I, if I, I want to, I want to, when I die, I want to give my right as a human entity like to a DAO. So I would live forever. Okay. Um, okay. You know, I mean, that's something I'd, I, I want to do, but you could probably, already do that. There was this. No, uh, yeah, you know, right? It's like there's a whole thing about like my coming from an uh, honorary law degree. Right <laughs> from the internet. <laughs> uh, what what has taught me from watching a uh, one-hour lecture video was that you know uh -huh. corporations have always tried to be find you know gain the same rights as humans. I'm like, what if humans gain the same rights? You know, or what if you flip it and you know people start becoming corporations and DAOs, right? Um, you know, but aside from that, I would probably you know right now get like a thousand of me and like get every one of them turn every one of them into like a summoner of a DAO idea. Just like spread wow. them. Okay. You know, yeah. One would do like one would go into the gardening community, right? Like just non-crypto native and like create DAOs there. One would like, you know, go and create a DAO for like car dealerships. I don't I have no clue. You know, turn every car dealership hmm. into a DAO. Do you know what I mean? And they're like Yeah, yeah. You you're kind of talking about a company meta company builder, but meta DAO builder. So you could you could that's actually something uh already kind of exists you could have like a DAO bootcamp and charge people like a shit ton of money 
like 5k 10k for teaching them how to start a DAO I maybe in the future but you know right now I'm not I, I haven't learned enough and I can't I'm always learning like I right now I'm joining every DAO right I can right now mainly to learn as much as I can because every, every new DAO I join and participate right I, I come across new problems I hadn't recognized a lot better uh, with the operational challenges of DAOs right uh and you know i i guess i'm not ready to start selling pdfs yet and ebooks yeah soon soon we'll, we'll soon. know to dump our uh, magic uh, tokens you have your personal token let's let's show your token so uh thanks to both of you uh for you know this really awesome episode uh i i really love uh peter has a point but i really love what you and your community are doing compared to a lot of the crypto space it's just like no token yet <laughs> no no ico just just doing and battling <laughs> let's not get into that but um yeah sorry uh one last comment is if anyone's building a doubt there feel free to click it to me mm -hmm. uh happy to provide thoughts and feedback right and yeah always happy to participate in DAOs. Yes, and none of this was investment advice and, uh, yeah, no solicitation. And not legal advice either. <laughs> no, le no legal advice. It's just except, except, except what Peter said, all of that. No, I, yes. I am a lawyer. I am a, <laughs> I am a fully legit lawyer. You could, you could just add, like, on lawyer. You create my own law school. Yes, yes. Cool, cool. Awesome. So, uh, lovely episode, and see you, everyone, in the next uh, episode of Pretopia. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye.